You're listening to the Hope Assembly podcast with Pastor Ryan Day. For more information, you can visit us online at hopeassembly.org. Please enjoy this week's sermon. Again, thank you so much for being here with us um, online. It's not the most ideal situation to be uh, like this online because the church is the assembled ones, those who gather together um, as a body. And so uh, though we're thankful for all of the equipment that we have here uh, to be able to do this, uh, we recognize this is way different than what uh, church should be like. Church is about an embodied people that are gathering together and worshiping together and receiving communion together and lifting up the name of Jesus together. And so, um, but this is kind of where we're at for now. And so we will do our best to hang with it. Um, as I was praying and sort of thinking about, you know, where we're at in this season, I just really felt uh, the Lord dropping my heart to kind of pivot the series. We were wrapping up our prayer series and getting ready to go into another series. I just really felt the Lord say to pivot. And um, it really woke up and it kind of dropped into my heart, the Psalms and the soul. And I just started started meditating on what does that mean, the Psalms and the soul? And, and really just began to think, you know, the Psalms provide for us a great look into the people of God in the midst of, of any kind of situation that you can imagine. And so I want to take some time this morning, and we're, we're not going to go through all 150 psalms over the next few weeks. Um, uh, you can read them if you'd like, but um, we're going to really just kind of walk through some particular psalms that maybe can help bring us some hope um, in this time. And so, again, forgive me, I'm going to be looking down at my Bible and my notes. I've printed notes because all of my digital stuff is being used. Um, so the camera and my notes, all that kind of stuff, forgive me for that. But um Uh, Let's pray and we're going to jump into the word this morning. Father, we are grateful that you are here with us, that you do not know time or distance, that you are not bound by um, these sort of things that we can assemble together and that you can meet with us here in this place in these circumstances. And so we ask as we open up your word today that you would uh, illuminate your word, that your word would bring us hope and peace in this time um, and and let it just feed and and bring rest to our souls. Uh, We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So this new series, Psalms and the Soul, um, I thought my I thought about this, you know, as I was preparing. Um, have you ever caught yourself, kind of one of those cliche cliche type conversations, um, you know, with a coworker or a friend? It kind of goes like, "Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? Good." And then you just kind of move on. Um, just kind of a real quick, um, every little cliche thing. If you've grown up in the church, like, Hey, how are you? Oh, I'm blessed. I'm blessed too. highly favored. All of those kind of cliches that we send, we tend to kind of say, and then we go on our way. Um, but imagine for a moment if that was sort of the fullness of all of your conversations. If every conversation that you had with your friends or your family members was just sort of this really shallow, uh, cliche-driven conversation, it would sort of be an indication that maybe there wasn't much depth to the relationships that you have. And oftentimes I think that this is how we feel with God, um, that we come to him and we pray or we, we open up the word and it feels sometimes like a cliche conversation. It kind of feels like it's just sort of surfacy and there's not a lot of depth to what's going on there. 
And uh, the reality is our deepest relationships are the ones in which we can express our full emotions um, without a filter. Um, but too often we feel that this might be in a, inappropriate with God to be able to come before him and express our deepest emotions without a filter. Um, but the reality is that's not true. We can come before God and we can be honest with God without facades or without any sort of pretense and share what's going on in our hearts. And the book of Psalms sort of gives us a look at what that's like. It's an unfiltered look at God and his people. And so before we get, we're going to go through Psalms 1. So if you have your Bible, uh, you can get your Bible out and go to Psalm chapter 1. We're going to, we're going to work, walk through that um, chapter today. But before we actually get into chapter 1, let me give you some background on the book of Psalms, just a little context of what the book of Psalms is. Um, it might help us as we walk through this, it might help us as we allow the Psalms to speak to the depths of our souls. Uh, first of all, uh, the Psalms were originally called the Sefer Tehillim, uh, which means the book of praises. And I might be pronouncing that wrong. It was Hebrew, but they would call it Sefer uh, Tehillim or the book of praises. And then later in the Greek, it was translated um, to Psalms. Um, and the book of Psalms is literally the songbook of the temple of God, that they would sing these and read these as poetry together. Um, for those of you who don't know, most of you probably do. There's 150 different books in the book of Psalms by various authors. Um, David being the most prominent author, he authored over 70 of the Psalms um, that we read today. It's divided into um, five different books, which is interesting. We'll talk more about that in a minute. And really sort of seven uh, genres. And there's, you know, discussion on seven or is it five genres or is it ten genres? But I, I kind of landed on the idea of seven genres, which are uh, hymns, laments, uh, psalms of thanks, confidence, remembrance, uh, wisdom, and kingship. And what's interesting about these five books that Psalm is broken up to is it sort of mirrors the Pentateuch or the first five books of the law that Moses gave us, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they kind of work together. The five books of the Psalms work well with the five books of the law. And so Moses gave us the law and David um, would be credited as giving us most of the Psalms. And the book of Psalms is probably the largest and most widely quoted book in the Bible. Um, again, for any of the nerds out there that are kind of like interested in this kind of information, I love this kind of stuff. But the book of Psalms was written over a span of a thousand years and, and it covers a timeline. So the timeline of the book of Psalms goes from creation through the patriarchal, theocratic, monarchical, I'm not sure if I said that right, monarchical, exilic, and post-exilic periods. So a thousand years of, of the people of God writing poetry and songs about how they interact with God is what we have in this 150 chapters of the book of Psalms. And Psalms explores, and it's important to note, it explores without reservation. Again, we've said unfiltered. It explores the full range of human experience and human emotion. And I think that's important because I think a lot of people right now are sensing a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear. 
They're not sure about what is to come, what's next. And that's not sinful. That's not wrong. It's human. And Psalms is filled with moments where people are writing about their anxieties and their fears and their angers and their frustrations. And it's just a matter of being human. And so I'm grateful that we have this book because it reveals to us in all of this how human we are. It covers the full range of human experience and emotion covering topics like jubilation, war, peace, uh, worship, judgment. Uh, messianic prophecies that declare that Jesus was going to come, um, praise, and of course there are psalms of lament. Um, I read this from a number of uh, different uh, commentaries as I was preparing. I sort of summarized some of these commentaries that said this, the New Testament apostles used the psalms for teaching doctrine. Throughout the centuries, the psalms have been a source of personal inspiration and spiritual strength. With its raw and unfiltered emotion, the Psalms help us process our own emotions. This is what I'm kind of hoping for in this series of the Psalms and the soul, that we can process our own emotions by reading through the emotions of the psalmist. Says, it goes on to say, By song and spirit, they comfort the lonely, strengthen the weary, bind the brokenhearted, and turn the eyes of the downcast toward their creator. Hope returns, faith is renewed, and life again becomes bearable. Uh, lots of people had a lot to say about the Psalms, but some of the church fathers, like uh, Saint Anastasia, said uh, or called the Psalms an epitome of the whole Scriptures. Or Saint Basil said this: he noted the Psalms were a compendium of all theology. And one of my favorites, Martin Luther, said the Psalms are a little Bible and the summary of the Old Testament. And so that's why we want to kind of dive into the book of Psalms here for the next few weeks and the foreseeable future. Um, kind of see how we can find our hope in these times that we live in uh, through the hope that uh, the, those who went before us, our fathers in the faith, who went before us, how they found hope in the difficult times that they faced. And so if you have your Bible, uh, turn to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. And I think it's important to note that um, before we read the psalm, that Psalm 1 is actually not the first recorded psalm. Um, psalm 90 is the first recorded psalm. It was actually written by Moses. Um, but Psalm 1 is the first psalm because it is recognized as the preface psalm. Uh, meaning that it states in it the subject, the scope, and the aims of the entire book. So it's sort of this opening prayer for the entire 150 chapters of Psalms. And so as we open up Psalm 1, think about it as this preface. Think about it as this opening prayer that sort of sets the stage of the heart intent of all of the Psalms. And so... Uh, without further ado, let's read Psalm chapter 1 here. I'm reading it out of the uh, ESV version. But you can read it out of your version. Here's what it says. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams, excuse me, planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. 
The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The way of the wicked will perish. And so um, here we see within Psalms, sort of the way that the poetry of uh, the Old Testament worked. So it doesn't work in the same sort of rhyming uh, rhythm poetry that we're used to or songs that we're used to. Their sort of rhyming and poetry would work in what was known as as, uh, parallels or parallelism, um, where they would take two ideas and run them together. And here we see this, the the psalmist in Psalm chapter 1 juxtaposes these two ways to live. And really only two ways to live at all. There's the righteous and the wicked. We see in verse 6 that it says the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So he says there's two ways. One is righteous and one is not righteous, or as he declares it, one is wicked. And um, while there's both a negative, what not to do, and the positive, what to do here in Psalm 1, Today, we're going to spend our time looking at sort of the positive projection of the righteous life. Um, And so it starts with this great word. It says blessed, blessed, which means happy or fortunate. Uh, One version would say to be praised is the man who. And I think that this is really an interesting thing because the book of Genesis or the first five books of the Bible in general open up with this idea of blessing that God creates the heavens and the earth and he blesses them. He creates man out of the dust of the earth and he blessed man. And then we see Psalm starts off right here in chapter one with blessed. The first word is blessed. And then I think about Jesus when he showed up on the scene and um, began to teach what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. The very first words out of the Sermon on the Mount were, blessed are those who, blessed are those who. So over and over again, he's repeating this word blessed. And so it's interesting in these key moments in scripture, we see that God's desire is to bless his people. That God's desire is to bring a a sort of uh, good fortune or a praiseworthiness to the lives of the people who were following after him. This is blessed or happy or to be praised is the man. And I think it's important that we stop there because this is a gender neutral term. It's not referring to males. It's referring to the human race in general or any sort of person that would follow after God. Blessed to be praised is the person who. And then it begins to open up the scripture. As we said uh, a minute ago, it's it's sort of working through the negative. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Blessed is the man who does not stand in the way of sinners, does not sit in the seat of scoffers. And that's an entire sermon all on its own. What I would like to talk about today is sort of two big questions. One, who is the blessed man? And two, how is the man blessed? So first let's look at who is the blessed man. It says, blessed is the man essentially who delights and meditates on God's law. Who delights and meditates on God's law. Let's look at these two things that it's referring to. First, let's talk about what it means to delight in the law of God. This idea of delighting is this inward desire that happens in us. 
uh, we long for that which we delight in. We long for that which we delight in. Let me tell you, when we were coming back from Albania, we ended up in San Francisco, Frankfurt to San Francisco, and we ended up missing our flight out of San Francisco, the last flight out of San Francisco. So uh, Jim and I had to stay the night in the airport there. And so um, didn't really have much opportunity to sleep there. And so uh, really kind of wandered around the airport. And so I went to one coffee shop because I was longing for and desiring for a latte, just a 12-ounce double-shot whole milk latte. It's a pretty simple latte. And I went to the first place and I ordered the latte and the guy made the latte and I paid the money for the latte and I walked away knowing that this latte was not going to fulfill the desires and the longing in my heart for a good quality latte. And it was not good. So then we waited and then at 5 a.m. in the morning, another coffee shop opened up and it's a well-known coffee shop. I won't say its name, but it's a well-known coffee shop. And I went to them and I said, I would like to get a 12 ounce double shot whole milk latte. And they made the latte and it was also not good and was not fulfilling the longing in my heart. I had this desire, this longing in me, this thing that I know that a, I delight in a good latte. And because I delight in a good latte, it, it was a desire. I'm back in the States and I want a good latte. And it was not a good latte. So finally, before we boarded a plane, there was another coffee shop. I'm going to give it one more chance. This is three lattes in a very short span of time. So you all know me. So I went to this other coffee shop and I expressed to them, I first I asked, do you know how to make a good latte? And they said, yes, we do. I said, great. I would like a 12 ounce double shot whole milk latte. And the guy behind the counter, I watched him as he began to make this latte and I began to sense inside my heart, this man knows what he's doing. He is making the very thing that I am longing for. And sure enough, he made a fantastic latte. I enjoyed every bit of that latte. But see, that's the thing. We understand in those sort of realms what it looks like to delight in something, to long for it, to seek after something. Well, this is sort of the same idea that the scripture is talking about. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord that we long for God's way of doing things, God's way of life. That's what the law of the Lord means. It's sort of his way, his, his teachings. And so a question, what is our appetite for God's instruction? Is it a delight to participate in God's instruction, to open up his word, or is it sort of dull and dry and difficult to get into the word of God? Uh, how do we develop a desire for God's word? Because if the blessed man is the one who delights in the law of the Lord, who delights in the instruction of the Lord, and if we don't feel that sort of delight, how do we begin to develop this sort of uh, desire for God's word? Well, appetites will develop through repeated experience. And so I want to encourage you in this time that we're in, we're going to be going through the book of Psalms. Get your Bibles out and start reading through the book of Psalms, asking the Lord to develop an appetite in you for his word. 
a matter of fact, Psalm 119, verse 103, there's lots of different Psalms that communicate the same idea, but in 119, verse 103, it says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And I got to be honest, sometimes, I mean, I'm a pastor. Sometimes I open up my Bible and I do not resonate with that idea. Sometimes I feel dry. Sometimes I feel like I just am, I'm just trying to continue the practice, even though it feels like nothing's happening. Well, that's good because the more often that I do that, the more it will develop an appetite in me, a desire to delight in God's word. I love what St. Augustine said. We're we're talking about how do you develop a desire to delight in God's word. St. Augustine said this. He said, for now, treat the scriptures of God as the face of God. Melt in its presence. Man, that quote really struck me. Treat for now. For now, there will be a day where we will meet Christ face to face. But for now, treat the scriptures of God as the face of God. Look for the face of God in the scriptures. And when you see God at work, melt in his presence. Let the scriptures just overwhelm you with God's goodness and glory and majesty. So blessed are those who delight in the Lord, in the law of the Lord, and blessed are those who meditate on the law of the Lord. So delighting is sort of this inward desire. Meditating is sort of this outward practice, this action and activity of our lives. Um, I think too often, um, I've done this before, we skim through the word. We read quickly to sort of fulfill an arbitrary reading plan. I've got to read X amount of chapters in the day to get through the Bible in a year or, or whatever that looks like. Um, that can happen and 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 that that is what it is. But This idea of meditating on the law of the Lord calls us to drink deeply from the river of Scripture, to draw from it the necessary nutrients for a full and flourishing life. He says, blessed is the man who meditates on the Scripture day or the law day and night, this sort of perpetual state of thinking upon the Word. Why is that important? Well, your meditation, whatever you're thinking about, has great implications for how you live your life out. You've probably ever, you've probably heard this before, um, that you should watch your thoughts because your thoughts become words, that you should watch your words because your words will become actions, and that you should watch your actions because they will become habits, and then your habits will become character, and then your character sort of sets the trajectory for your destiny. And so your thoughts have this ability to sort of shape and direct your life. And so meditating on God's word is a way in which we can learn how to live and lean into that blessed life. Uh, God speaking to Joshua when he took over from Moses. He told him, Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead, and he's handing over uh, uh, the leadership of the children of Israel to Joshua. Here's what God says to Joshua in Joshua 1.8. He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Sound familiar? So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good 
success. It sounds almost exactly what the psalmist is talking about. Blessed is the man who is delighting in the way of the Lord, and on this way or law he meditates day and night. Uh, Bartholomew uh, Ashwood said this about meditation. Because meditation isn't like uh, some religions would say that meditation, you're trying to empty your mind. You're trying to, to get to a neutral place where you're not even thinking about anything. Well, that's not what the scriptures mean when it, when it, when it uh, calls us to meditate. More, it tells us this idea of sort of filling our mind with scripture. And as Bartholomew Ashwood said, it's medita meditation, chews the cud. Has anybody ever seen a cow chewing cud? It's just sort of an over and over and over and over again, just grinding the cud. Meditation chews the cud and gets the sweetness and nutritive value or virtue of the word into the heart and life. This is the way the godly bring forth much fruit. Wow. So who's the blessed man? The man who delights and meditates on the law or instruction of the Lord. And now, how is that man blessed? Well, I would answer that simply that he's blessed. He's blessed because he flourishes under all circumstance. What is this blessing? It's the ability to flourish in the midst or under all different kinds of circumstances. The psalmist here uses a metaphor of a fruit tree to describe the flourishing of the righteous. And I'm sure that most of us have seen sort of a healthy, like, fruit tree, and we've probably all also seen a not-so-healthy, dead, dry uh, fruit tree, one that's uh, on the at the end of its life, maybe needs to be cut down or uprooted. I want you to hold that picture of that flourishing fruit tree in your mind as we think about this. There's important language that he's talking about here. So he says that this 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 man that meditates and delights in the law of the Lord, that he is like a tree, like a fruit tree. See the imagery here that is a planted by streams of water and that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. And so it's important to note the language here. This tree that he's referring to, it's not a wild tree. It specifically says that it's a tree that is planted. That's an intentional movement. It's planted by streams of water. Um, some ancient texts actually use the term that it is replanted, which makes sense since we were once dead. We were once separated from God, but then when we came into the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ, we have become a new creation. And so we were replanted or uh, uh, some scripture will say that we were grafted into the vine, that we have this new life. And so it's a beautiful image of this fruit tree, not just being planted intentionally by springs or streams of living water, but being replanted into a new life by streams of water. And these streams of water is an opportunity for that tree's roots to go deep, 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 deep into the, the soil and to extract from that water, that living water, all that it needs for life this sort of roots going down into the abiding source of life, the river that it is planted next to. 
um, Jeremiah was given a prophetic text to share with the people of God in Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8. And it's, it's almost verbatim what Psalm 1 says here. Here's what it says. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. So he's got the positive side of it, where Psalms is blessed is the man who does not do these things. Jeremiah says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. So not just trusting in the Lord, but recognizing that every bit of his trust is the Lord himself. That he is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green. And listen to this. It is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. I think that that is something that can really settle our souls. That Jeremiah And the psalmist in Psalm chapter 1 is telling us that, listen, when we allow ourselves to meditate and and delight in the law of the Lord, that God is going to cause us to be like a tree planted by rivers of living water. And that from that living water, from the scriptures themselves, that we will draw the substance that we need, the nutrients that we need for life, and that will calm our souls, will calm our anxieties, because we know that, that our source is unmovable. Our source is unshakable. Our source and our trust is indeed the Lord himself. So I see here in this text, this this middle text of chapter 1 verse 3, what, what the psalmist is talking about is this idea of flourishing that When we meditate on God's word, when we delight in God's word, when we are like that tree planted by streams of living water, we are unfazed by the outward circumstances. That we are alive, green in leaf, that we are fruitful, and that we bear fruit in season, and and that we are prosperous, that God is at work in our lives. Now, that word prosperous has been used, uh, oftentimes abused, to mean all kinds of things that it doesn't mean. So first of all, let me say what it does not mean. And it says, whatever he does or in all that he does, he prospers. This does not mean that this person or that you and I will be immune from difficulty or failure. We are going to experience this human life, which is filled with failures. It's filled with difficulties Jesus said, he promised that difficulty, hardship will come. That's a part of the human experience. So it doesn't, it doesn't bring immunity to us from real life. It also doesn't guarantee us this idea of health, wealth, and, and, um, and prosperity and that sort of this, this happiness and health and wealth. It doesn't guarantee us those moments. Um, but what it does do, this word prosper, what it does mean here is that God is with us. Then whatever we do, we're living this sort of God life, that God is with us, that he's in the midst of our lives and our circumstances. And that also means that we, in these moments, these difficult moments, these, these moments that, uh, that spur on anxiety and difficulty and frustration, in these moments that we can still bear the fruit of his kingdom or the fruit of the spirit, which is found in Galatians 5 verses 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, 
and self-control. That a prospering, the man who prospers, that's blessed, he prospers in such a way that in the middle of the most worst circumstances, the fruit of God's spirit can still be available to him in his life. Now, let me uh, wrap it up with this. Um, Does that feel to you in some ways a little bit impossible or maybe even overwhelming? And I would say, if it feels a little impossible and overwhelming to you, like blesses the man who meditates, blesses the man who delights in the Lord, this guy's like a dream, right? If that feels a little overwhelming, I can tell you it probably is if you try to do it in your own strength. Matter of fact, let me rephrase that. It is impossible to live this life in your own strength. Probably the best way to read this psalm is to read it in a way where Jesus is actually the blessed man, where Jesus is actually the tree planted by the rivers of water. Why do I say that? Because really in the ancient original text, this whole idea of blesses the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, does not sit in the seat of sinners, does not stand in the path of scoffers, that whole idea is about this living out the perfect life of the law, which I fail to do and you fail to do, and every human besides Jesus has failed to do. And so really, this is actually pointing us to Jesus, who is the blessed man, who lived out the law perfectly for you and me. And so in our own strength, all of this is impossible. But if we will trust in Jesus as our blessed man, if we will trust in Jesus as our tree planted by the river of living water, then in Christ, we too can bear much fruit. It reminds me of the passage in John 15 where Jesus says that he is the vine, the true genuine vine, and that his father is the vine dresser. It's a similar image, the vine and the tree. And he says to us, if we will abide in him, we will bear much fruit. It's very similar to what Psalms is saying. If we will abide in him, we will bear much fruit. That apart from him, we can do nothing. And so the scripture encourages us to abide in Jesus so that we can uh, be partakers of his divine nature and partakers of the fruit of this blessed life that Psalm 1 talks to us about. My hope is that today, if you don't know that blessed life of living in Jesus, that you would reach out to us because we would love to talk to you about what it looks like to live a devoted life uh, following after the ways of Jesus. So if that's you and you're watching this, please find a way to reach out to us. Email us, message us on Facebook, message us on Instagram, reach out to us. We would love to hear from you and help you begin to walk in that life that Jesus has. If you've been following after Jesus, I want to encourage you to rest, abide in Christ in this season, in this time, and find your life and your substance in abiding in him so that you can also drink from the rivers of living water. And so I want to pray for you um, and trust that God is with you. Hey, a few things before I go, and before I pray for you, reach out to us, uh, Facebook, Instagram, if there's anything that you need, we're going to be doing some things to try to connect with you through these online resources. It's not the same as being face-to-face, but it's the best we've got now. Reach out to us. Let us know if there's anything that you need and whatever we can do to be of assistance, we will do that. 
Um, hopefully in the next week or so, we can be even taking communion together virtually. Um, I would love to be able to do that with you. Um, generally, at the end of our services, we receive communion. We reflect on what the Lord has spoken to us. And then we also have the opportunity to give our offerings. If you would be so inclined to want to continue your giving, we would greatly appreciate that you do that in this season. And the easiest way to do that is to go online and click on the Give button. That's at hopeassembly.org. You can click on the Give button. It's in the upper um, right-hand corner corner and the menu bar there. It's a safe and secure way um, to give. We appreciate all of your giving and your faithfulness to the Lord. We are trusting that God is going to work in the midst of all of this. And so we're believing and praying for you. Uh, We love you. Thank you so much for uh, joining us today. And uh, let me pray for you and then we will uh, go about the rest of our Sunday. God, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful that it is alive and active. We pray, God, that it would resonate in our hearts. Teach us to desire and delight after your word and your ways. Uh, Teach us, God, to meditate, to think upon your word. Let your word direct and guide our paths. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Thank you for listening. It's our desire to lead people to know Christ and to make Him known. If you'd like to support the ministry of Hope Assembly, go to hopeassembly.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.